This week, Google Marketing Live 2019, and Morgan explains how K-pop is going to save Twitter. Let's go. Welcome to the A-Game. My name is Jim Ganser. Joining me this week to talk about the latest in marketing tech and trends, may I give you Ho-Po. Hello. Sorry, that was really loud. <laughs> was it really that loud? Ooh. Joel is grimacing back there. That must have been very loud. No, I was just thinking Mike Palkstar, executive producer and vice president of the podcast, is going to um, freak out because the levels went up probably. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, – and Todd is lurking back there. Did you, get, you guys see Todd? I, no. Yeah. Hello, Todd. Our, our trusty uh, IT guru, Todd. The, the, the guy that we often call to when we can't figure out how to use the AV equipment. Indeed. Indeed. And, oh, that's Joel Hammond, by the way. I know I, I took it uh, a little informal this week. Welcome back to the program, Joel. Hello. And joining us, as always, our trusty partner and um, galactic podcaster. Is that appropriate? Uh, sure, galactic podcaster, geeky <laughs> podcaster. Yeah, that that's uh, Morgan Rooks, young Morgan. Hi. Welcome back. I don't think we should be discouraging enthusiasm. I appreciate Miss Hope's cheerful hello. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it. Her her vocal cues are on point. So way to go. Uh, so anyway, at, at least three of us at the table, Joel not included, um, went to our screening room and we streamed in a very nerdy way, Google Marketing Live this week. So I figure we can kind of start off the conversation and talk about some of uh, the big, um, I guess, announcements. I mean, some of this stuff is new, genuinely new. Some of it is uh, pre-released but ready to, to go live. But for anyone that's not familiar, this is the annual conference for advertisers that Google puts out. So there's oftentimes conversation about product updates um, and, and different um, advantages that marketers can take advantage of. It's an invite only unless you're streaming in like we do um, and eating very large slices of pizza, might I? Very might I large slices of pizza. Shout out to Guy's Pizza. Guy's Pizza. Jeez. I mean, Joel, have you ever had Guy's Pizza? I have. I love it. Have you had the New Yorker, like their New York style pizza? I don't believe so. No. The overall pizza itself is so thick you can't even fold it over. Wow. Like, I'm still full. And <laughs> it's been days. Was it Wednesday? Was it Tuesday? It was when... No, it was Tuesday. 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 It was Tuesday. Yeah. I'm still wow. full. That I must be good pizza then. <laughs> I don't feel the same. Literally 56 hours later. <laughs> really hard time with it. Two hours. But I figured we can kind of do roundtable and get some color commentary from Joel as well. Because, I mean, a lot of what they talked about that kind of popped off the page to me was just talking about the overall um, you know, visibility of ads. Um, Google, historically, their bread and butter has been search and text-based. Uh, you're starting to see a little bit more of that feed culture um, factor into the new product releases, including in search. So I thought I'd start with Hope. Hope, what kind of stood out for you yeah. Uh, at Google Marketing Live. Yeah, so I mean, part of my excitement this week and also obviously on this podcast is because I love Google. I think that they have a great range of products. I think the top three things that I'm excited for are the bumper machine, 
the bumper machine, for those who do not know, is um, a way to automatically, using AI, create six-second bumper videos from, like, a 90-second long or shorter video. So this is a pain point for some of us, um, some of us that use Google, I guess. Um, Bumper ads sometimes perform very well as an awareness tactic, and I think that it's a great use case for if you want to push a lot of stuff out there very quickly, a very succinct message, and um, it's just very hard to create sometimes because our lovely, um, I guess, uh, studio doesn't necessarily keep that in mind when they're making these wonderful commercials and video for pre-roll. Um, so that's very exciting. I think another really cool thing are the discovery ads. The discovery ads are kind of, I think they've been teasing this, betaing this for a while, um, but basically on the, I think, homepage of YouTube, Google, Gmail? No, not Gmail. YouTube. Yeah, initially, it started off on mobile search. Mm-hmm. So if you scroll down below the, the search bar, you know, on occasion, you'll start to see, here's the types of articles that I typically read through Chrome. Mm-hmm. Now it's extending into YouTube's homepage and then also getting into the Gmail product. Yeah. So it's kind of unifying all the apps into one. So one campaign can deliver so across all, all the apps. Those which, different platforms. Which is a big theme. They really got big into the, the customer journey and the digital touch points. Yeah that consumers go through. They're really trying to shift more towards a full funnel attribution mm-hmm. where their entire you know, history has been low funnel in terms of, of search overall. Yeah, and that'll be a more carousel type of image. And I think the uh, example that they used was for Devour, a frozen food company, and everything that they put in their discover ad looked amazing it was very compelling um you definitely wanted to click on it and i said i think they said that the engagement rates were maybe 200 percent more or something uh than a regular display ad yeah Um, they they would say something like that (laughs) right um but i don't it's hard to pick what my third top thing is. Um, this, so is the, this is the nerdiest analysis I've ever heard in my life. Sorry. <laughs> so the bumper thing, so I'm curious yeah. about that. I mean that so, in the nicest way possible. So you, you mentioned it, this, is, this is a way that Google automatically takes a 30 or 60 second video that I have uploaded to YouTube or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm surely there's, there's, there's um, very specific ways to do this, but they're going to create a six second bumper for me from that. Now my question- Four. Four six-second oh, videos. S- sorry, sorry. Four, so like six several different oh, options. So they're just chopping it up. They're yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. They're using like some sort of AI to basically identify the best images, best frames sure. from each uh, 30, 60, or even to 90-second video and create a very quick and easy, compelling six-second format um, that you can then use wherever so yeah. that's I'm intrigued by that because so like think about our shop like is our is our studio team like do you think our or any agency I think this probably applies to any agency um is your studio team going to be okay with that yeah you know I mean th- so the advantage is, is it provides a time savings for the for the client for our shop we can get on a bigger and better the disadvantage is it takes away you know presumably it's not going to be the same or 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 whatever so interesting thought on 
yeah. you know, advantage versus disadvantages. What, what do you value most from our perspective as an agency, from the client's perspective? Yeah, I think we're in a, it's a wait and see since the product isn't available yet. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll have to kind of test some things, see how they turn out. And ultimately, you know, we do, we are entrusting Google to be the authority here to know what performs best as far as bumper ads go. And a lot of times what performs best is not necessarily in line with a creative vision of longer form content. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. We'll give you updates. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of, kind of um, aligns with the whole idea uh, around responsive ads. So Google's got this product that is called responsive ads. And for people that aren't familiar out there in podcast land, essentially what you could do is you could take some really simple assets, something like a really succinct um, headline, uh, take a couple of images, and maybe a little bit more of a descriptive headline. And that can spit out upwards of, you know, six to eight different varieties of, of ads that you can run across their Google Display Network. So even if you don't have a kick-ass agency like the Adcom Group, mm. which is a very big deal. Sorry about your luck if you don't. <laughs> very big deal. You could even, you know, even using a big shot agency like the Adcom Group, they could actually do this on your behalf as well just to give you some more test and learn capabilities. And it's interesting because now they're getting into the situation. Hope talked about AI, and now we're getting into more image-based ads in more places, including search, which we'll get to. All of a sudden, this machine learning is going to start kicking in, and you could start to get a better sense of what it's going to take to get people to click through. Um, So a lot of the success that we see from an advertising standpoint using platforms like Facebook and Instagram with ads they're starting to use some of those tricks within the Google stack, specifically with the carousels and image-based discovery ads. And it's going to open things up a little bit more for, you know, frankly, people like us that at times have uh, struggled to spend budgets against very niche audiences. So it's very exciting on our side. Um, on this, At the same token, it's like, is where is this going? Because you, they started the entire presentation, and I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent, so I'll let other people talk, but they got into this big comparison of like these two different audiences, and they started touching on the journey. And it's like on one side you have a male, and the other side you've got a female, and the female has upwards of 50 digital touch points before making a purchase. They're both gamers. And the male had like 500, and it just kind of shows like the holes in the traditional consumer journey that most marketers kind of walk through in school and some of them are still using. It's now a dynamic digital journey and you can tell that what Google's really trying to do is wrap their arms around this and say, we're uniquely suited to actually give you a full funnel solution. And frankly, you kind of believe them because, you know, we talked about it last week, browser usage, 80% usage for Chrome specifically. Yeah, everybody walks around with, you know, iPhones, except for a couple really kick-ass people that don't mind standing out and, in fact, you know, want the attention, negative or positive. But anyway, even the people using um, the iPhones are using Chrome. I mean, and it's increasingly becoming a mobile space. So. Yeah. I mean, I have an iPhone. I don't use Safari ever. 
I have the Chrome app installed on my iPhone, and that's my hmm. default for everything. And it's a, it's that um, that connectivity. You know, I'm in, in logged in on Chrome on my phone. I'm logged in on Chrome on my desktop. I'm logged in in Chrome on my iPad, and I can access whatever I'm browsing or whatever tabs I'm on even if I'm on a cross device. So if I am looking at something at work and I go home and I'm like, oh, right, I wanted to you know, look at those pair of shoes, I can log in in Chrome on my phone and access my desktop hmm. browser and, and use it. And it's super cool for that. But I did want to touch on one thing that we, um, came up at Google Marketing Live that really interested me and both plays into some of the things that Google announced that are similar to Facebook and also ties into our conversation from last week, uh, which is their audience is an audience extender. So, um, you know, audience extender is something that Facebook does similarly, similarly that uh, people really love is, you know, they take your audience model that you've built for your campaign and then they go and use their algorithms to find people who are similar. So Google has announced that. But what I find really interesting is so, you know, we talked last week about how Google Chrome is going to start blocking cookies. And as we surmised, Google announced a solution for that. So what they announced as part of their audience extender uh, program with Google Ads is that if someone has opted into cookies and chooses to use them, it will serve them the ad that is audience targeted to them. If that particular user does not opt into cookies and it does not have a profile associated with them, it will serve an ad that is contextually relevant to the site. And that's like super smart. And, you know, I have to, you know, hats off to Google because we knew that there was going to be some workaround with this Chrome blocking cookie thing that was coming up. And this is how they're doing it. So rewind that. So if I've enabled cookies, I get something that's targeted personal. Mm -hmm. If I don't, it's going to be contextual. So if I'm on, I don't know, DickSportingGoods.com. Right. Yeah, as, if you're on ESPN. Rem- so sure. so if you were on ESPN, but they knew that, uh, you know, you were looking at booking a trip to Las Vegas, you, you'd get a Las Vegas ad. But otherwise, on ESPN.com, you would get an ad for the Indians or for something relevant to sports sure. instead of something targeted based on your uh, browsing behaviors and uh, audience profile. So, Hope, you're really close to campaign management Mm -hmm. and knowing what you know about Google, you spent a lot of time in Google. When we talk about the difference between, you know, cookie-based targeting and contextual targeting, is there a huge difference between the two? Like, how could you potentially break it down for for our listenership? Yeah. um, So, I think for Google, it's a little bit different because some of it is kind of all lumped in together. They really do a bulk of their... Um, targeting through custom affinities, custom intent audiences, and their own personal affinity audiences that they curate over time. Um, And some of this information is, I'm assuming, to be both from cookies and from um, general contextual information. Morgan, do you know how they kind of get all of this data? Because they they get the data. A lot of it, Google's data is largely based on cookie behavior and right. the fact that okay. a lot of their users are logged into Chrome. Yeah. Um, so their behaviors are being logged. Yeah. So, like, there's a ton of different affinities that you can choose when you're making an audience. So, for example, you have, like, um, 
people who are interested in movies and comedies, for example, you can splinter down to even like types of movies. And so under the movie buffs category, um, all of this data for people who enjoy comedies could be from um, Google searches about comedies or like maybe you bought a ticket from a, um, I guess, comedy from like a Google network um, website, a website in the Google display network. Um, yeah, Fandango. So for example, like you might be in that audience if you bought something recently, um, or maybe if you're searching for something, um, that would come up as well. But then there's also keywords and placements that you can target and topics as well, which is more contextual. So they're kind of phasing that out and they're pushing affinities and custom intent audiences uh, more towards the top and recently they are grouping them together which is entirely different which means that they're probably shifting more towards a cookie based audience group but I think there's a little bit of everything mixed in. So essentially breaking it down for the audience if I'm somebody that's into you know guilty pleasure movies and I'm being targeted cookie based mm -hmm. I could be on Martha Stewart living mm -hmm. and they're hitting me with milk duds. Yeah. But if I disable those cookies and I'm reading the review for Roadhouse on Rotten Tomatoes mm -hmm. and watching the trailer over and over again, that's when they're going to hit me with the milk does, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's something Jim it does a lot, better. actually. <laughs> Roadhouse is his favorite movie. Well, oh. it's, it's an American treasure, really. <laughs> Rest in peace. Oh. Pat Swayze. Oh. I know. We went there, didn't we? Mm. So, um, quick question for Joel. Yeah, I'm ready. So, Joel does a lot of um, social media management for our clients. Joel, do you ever do social media management from your smartphone, or is it always like laptop? Uh, I would say it's probably 50-50. 50-50? Yep. So, if, you know, we're... You know, we're monitoring communities and making sure we're engaging with audience members that are, are engaging with our clients. You know, yeah. I usually check first thing in the morning um, and then I'll do a check before before bed. So if I'm on my phone, you know, before bed, I'll go through mentions and, and comments and, and stuff we're tagged in on my phone before bed. So it's, it's generally a mix of, of both, a pretty even mix. So it's super convenient, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that was another announcement that Google made. They're really moving more towards mobile management. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, campaign management can fit right in your pocket. You have the same kind of flexibility that Joel has, um, you know, different times of the day when you're away from your desk to potentially um, check in on campaigns. So you can technically build responsive ads, what I was talking about earlier, from a mobile app. Hmm. And you could write search copy and bid, bid adjustments and launch campaigns all from your pocket now. So that was a big announcement as well. A lot of times when we talk about mobile, it's always from the perspective of, if the, it's been a while since I've from been the doing the <laughs> perspective. I like how I get the I evil eye. I said it twice eye. earlier in well, the podcast. Well, in all fairness, you made fun of me the most on it. and <laughs> Or at least I picked up a sense from your nonverbals that you'd been talking about it quite a bit or you found enjoyment in the fact that I say from the perspective of a lot. But anyway, Maybe. that's another story. Um, <laughs> no hard feelings. <laughs> but it, but essentially, we always talk about like the end user and their desire for mobile, but we don't really talk about the fact that you know, we as people also are 
tethered to our smartphones. And now you can start to get um, alerts where you could potentially pause things, ramp things up, or potentially launch things uh, directly from your smartphone. Uh, Hope, how do you feel about that? Is that good or bad? Are you conflicted? You probably like this. uh, I mean, there's already like a Google Ads app that isn't that great, but I guess this just really helps with the work-life balance issue. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, um, what? Oh, no, boy. no, no. Um, no, I think it's fine. I think it's good. I think that more accessibility is better. Work-life balance. Morgan, what do you think? Oh, I, you know, we're and I am so guilty of this, and my husband's going to listen to what I'm about to say and, and laugh. And oh, boy. It. You know, we're already so tethered to our phones, and the work-life balance is blurring so much that I don't know. I just, I, I just f- don't really love the idea of. I don't know. <laughs> there needs to be some boundaries. One um, more thing you can do on your phone. Yeah, I mean, I just again, I think there needs to be some boundaries for um, just the sake of everyone's mental health. I think there needs to be some clear distinctions between work life and home life. Um, I, this is going on a tangent. In particular, like I. I have been checking my work email less at home and I found that I'm a lot happier. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's less stress. It's less things that are weighing on my mind. I'm able to let things go for the day. So, you know, the idea of, oh, having that on the, me particularly having an app like that on the phone would be tempting for me to check it. Yeah. On weekends, on, you know, on evenings after work. And then I'm taking that, I'm taking away from being present and I'm taking away from like being with my family. So I, you know, I don't think it's a great idea. But I will say it's super convenient because I've been in situations where, like, I really need my computer because somebody sends me an email and they're like, oh, this is super urgent or, like, something's gone wrong and there's a fire that needs to be put out and I didn't have my computer. And I'll just say that Facebook is very hard to use mobily. Um, And something like that would be super, super helpful at that time. So I think, yeah, again, accessibility is good. But yeah, I think the distinction between work and life needs to be made on a personal level. (laughs) Hope makes a good point. You know, the the one thing about social, Jim mentioned that I handle a lot of social. So the the one thing there is... um, you can, if you have to, you know, you can do it from your phone. I hope, I hope presents a scenario where, like, there are scenarios where you do need to do work sometimes, yeah. right? If on a Friday night or a Saturday night, and you, and in this, in your guys' current situations, you guys need your laptop to do that, right? So, I mean, that that does present the issue. The, the problem with that is once you open the Pandora's box of being able to do it on your mobile device, are you able to stay away from it when? You don't have to. Mm-hmm. Be I think doing yeah. That. It's I mean as hope kind of uh, you know pinged there. It is a personal choice. Yeah. So I think we just delved into a completely different area. It's okay. We all struggle. We've got our struggles. Now I would like to propose uh, one rule change. Um, the word urgent gets thrown around. Yeah. <laughs> There's and a door quote. Sometimes what's I, I feel like it's a relative term, but. Um, we can all agree that w- what we're reacting to, it, it's reactionary. So instead of using the word urgent, why don't we just use reactionary? I'm being reactionary. This is not really urgent for everyone, yeah. right? When everything's urgent, nothing is urgent. That's exactly. right. Exactly. It's, it's the four Put quadrant. that on the door. 
That's right. That's already on the door. Oh, shoot. Darn. <laughs> Is it? It's on Morgan's door. If everything's urgent, nothing's urgent. I love that. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's on my. The door is still a carryover of, of the Jim's door quotes that are Lincoln quotes. My wall is actually Dolly Parton quotes. So. Okay. Because, <laughs> you know, we got to sass it up a little bit. For listeners who are um, just now tuning in or have not listened to other uh, podcast episodes, Jim and Morgan have a lot of quotes, inspiring quotes that they read on their doors and... We quote them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and some people um, take offense to them, like Joe Hannum, our, our resident um, analytics Love you, Joe. expert. He does sort of comically take offense to them, doesn't he? It's, yeah. It's comical. Yeah. He's like, um, how dare you talk about the glasses being half full? <laughs> how dare you? Huh? So that, that's his approach. But we did tease out a story earlier. I know that we got a little bookish, and this is Insider Baseball episode of the A-Game. Uh, but to lighten it up a little bit in our Slack feed, um, I didn't dive deep into this one, but it was teed up from young Morgan Rooks that K-pop can save Twitter. Mm-hmm. A, does Twitter need saving? And B, how does K-pop serve a purpose in elevating this platform that we all love? Morgan, the table is yours. Morgan, what is K-pop? Okay, so <laughs> K-pop is uh, Korean pop. Sure. You know, people shorten it to K-pop, J-pop, Japanese pop. It's the same sort of thing. Um, and, you know, my kind of hot take is, you know, posing the question of can K-pop save Twitter? So Axios released, um, I would say an article, but it's really it was in their e-newsletter, uh, a piece about the fact that uh, K-pop band BTS is just, like, making everyone's engagement go crazy like you can you can meet your engagement goals on the first day of the month if you tweet about bts so um i think the article that's said, why at indians did it yes believe so, that believe that <laughs> so they are have a more engaged following than any other entity on twitter uh their main account generated four million interactions from its tweets in the last three months uh to put that in perspective uh, Trump's generated 105 million, so they have four million tweets, and they have their group of fans. I believe is called the BTS Army, and they are a rabid, like well-organized fan base. And if a brand uh, tweets about BTS, or if BTS is on a show, uh, as they frequently are now, as they are becoming more popular in America, they'll be on the the Jimmy Kimmel's or you know similar shows. Good Morning America. They're on SNL recently. SNL, yeah. Their uh, their army of fans will um, assemble. Basically, it's like a BTS uh, army assemble, and they will go and like the tweets, and they will retweet the tweets, all in an effort to get BTS more well known in the United States, to get them on more shows, to get them have more appearances. And uh, it's it's just crazy. Like brands are jumping on this because they know that these fans are out there, and that. Uh, they can, you know, reach engagement. So I think it's also so. My theory here is that you know it's it's making brands want to be on Twitter because they can find these fandoms. Um, it, it's it's a really interesting it's a really interesting thing that's it's not necessarily strictly related to K-pop. You know, Twitter. Uh, sorry, Taylor Swift has a very strong fan base on Twitter, but nothing nothing like K-pop. And as we start to see more and more K-pop bands like Blackpink, like Luna. Um, become popular in the United States, like it'll be interesting to see how brands, you know, monopolize on their fan base. 
So just in the last week, I've seen two Major League Baseball teams get involved with this, and I'm telling you, that's exactly why. They they look at their numbers. They know the power of this. And uh, what was the band that the Indians uh, tweeted at? It was BTS. It was BTS, mm-hmm. sure. So just showing the power. I mean, the L.A. Dodgers had them at their ballpark, you know, in L.A. And just it was crazy when I went. Th- I had no idea what this was when I first saw the tweet. And then we discussed this, and all of a sudden now it started to make sense. You go through the replies, it's unbelievable how – there, this band's fans went through and like like defended the band and made sure that their biggest their biggest reply to baseball fans or Indians fans was when they asked, oh, who 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 are these guys? Who are these guys? Well, their big their number one response was they're humanitarians. They're like big. Yeah. Isn't there one of their big? They're like socially conscious. They they have uh, a really strong profile in um, social justice issues. So um, that was their that was their fans. Number one. Well, actually, they've they've uh, presented before the United Nations. I think uh, was yeah, was BTS. So. I gotta admit, I'm not a big BTS fan. Um, I am. I do listen. I do listen to K-pop. I mean. Hot take. Whoa. I, it's, I just haven't. Let's, that let's was unexpected. Them <laughs> let's tag them in the tweet and say, we're not big fans of BTS, but, but we. Oh, no, 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 no. I, oh, no, this, is, no. this could be the start of something big for the A game. Yeah. Oh, I'm not saying I'm not a or BTS fan because I don't like them. I'm saying I'm not a BTS fan because I actually just haven't taken the time to listen to their music. So that's why I can't. I'm like, I, I feel neutral about them. I'm sure they're fantastic. I listen to other K-pop. So. Um, Man, I just never really took the time to listen to them. Backtracking real quick. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Joel. Over there with your, uh, who do you listen to? Who do I listen to? Rascal Flats. Rascal Flats? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I do not listen to Rascal Flats. I listen to everything. Anyway, it's just. It's My a, favorite of artists, artists of all time, obviously, is um, Africa. Warren G. Toto. Born G. Born G. Mm. <laughs> I feel Obviously. like I don't Obviously. believe that. Anyway. And, and Nate Dogg, may he R.I.P. Rest in peace, a, Nate Dogg. Uh, it's just been a really interesting story. and uh, You know, just to see this band just, like, completely taking over Twitter in a way that we haven't seen it anymore. And it's really refreshing, too, because... Not since Donald Trump have we seen someone yeah, use like, Twitter, <laughs> like, K-pop bands. Twitter has been overwhelmingly... Negative. Negative. You know, the, the fans on there or the, the people that come on just to troll. You know, Twitter's been getting a lot of flack for that, for just being an overwhelmingly overwhelmingly negative space. So to see such a positive fandom, and I, I did see the tweet that Joel referenced, the Indians tweet, and their responses to, to haters and to trolls were just very polite and very kind yeah. and just like a really great representation of a fan base. So, you know, well done BTS and well done to the BTS army. Together, fangirls can change the world. Uh, 100% believe that. Believe <laughs> it. 100%. As a fangirl, I stand by that. Well, that's pretty presumptuous that, that men aren't part of the army. Oh, I think they are. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think they're well represented out there. Oh, I think they're in the army. It doesn't men change the be... fact that fangirls will change the world. Yeah, men can mm. be fangirls as well. Hey, well, I, I, think it, I think we should absolutely use this information to the best of our ability to promote our program, the A game. At the A game. <laughs> we um, also so. support BTS. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yes, we support BTS. And um, so we did actually live tweet the Google Marketing Live event mm-hmm. on our Twitter handle at the A Game Podcast. Yes, I enjoyed so, that. Yeah, make sure to follow us. You know, other future events like this, we will try to live tweet. And also, we would love to hear your feedback on some of the new Google products uh, on 
BTS dressing up like the Beatles uh, on Twitter. Anything you want to throw at us, we'd love to hear. We're also really interested in your opinions on this last season of Game of Thrones. Maybe next week we can um, talk about the season finale together. (laughs) Spoiler alert, everyone's very disappointed. We can have a companion piece. Yeah. So maybe this week our uh, our walkout music could be Boy With Love. By BTS. Absolutely. Yes. Wow, Jim. Wow. Did you well, research that? that? Or... Did no, you look at the discography? <laughs> top, top of my mind. <laughs> it's the first song I listen to in the morning and the last one I play on my way home. Wow. Can you do the I'm choreography? I'm going to go listen to Rascal Flats, I guess. Oh. <laughs> on my way home. <laughs> a game out. Next week we'll talk about our brackets. Peace. If we, <laughs> if we get 100 subscribers, Jim will do the BTS Boys with love choreography <laughs> yes oh there's a dance there's a, of course there's dance. always a dance there's always a dance all right facebook live bye bye bye, bye. I'm